and welcome to Through the Lens of Recovery, the podcast that digs into the issues, stories and triumphs that surround addiction. I'm Annie Murray, founder of Horizon, a not-for-profit filmmaking programme that teaches those in recovery from addiction how to create compelling stories through the medium of film. And I'm Sophie Turton, co-founder of The Joyful, a marketing agency for purpose-driven businesses. In this episode, we speak to Mandy Manners, sobriety and recovery coach and co-founder of Love Sober, an online sober community for women who want to explore a life free from alcohol. And for the first time in this podcast series, we are also joined by another guest, Ruri Fairburns, co-founder of One Year No Beer, a leading habit-changing program and community for people looking to change their relationship with alcohol. We discuss the power of community in sobriety, the different stages of alcohol use disorder and the importance of speaking to people at every stage of their journey and the joy that is to be found in a life free from alcohol. This was an incredibly interesting and expansive conversation that comes at a topic of alcohol from several different perspectives that we hope you enjoy. Thank you both so much, Ruri and Mandy, for joining us today to talk about the importance of community within the context of alcohol and and, and sobriety. So first of all, I would love to hear from each of you if you can just describe who you are, tell us who you are, a little bit about your story and how you came to be here today. Um, If we start with you, Mandy. Uh, so hi, yeah, thanks for, both for inviting me on. So my name's Mandy Manners. I am a sobriety and wellbeing coach. Um, I have a private practice where I uh, look after clients all around the world. Um, I'm also a recovery coach, so I work sometimes in treatment centres. Um, and I also am the co-founder of Love Sober, which is a community for women um, who are questioning their drinking and want to make a change. Uh, So we look very much at kind of if you're looking at a recovery term early intervention so asking questions around behavior mental health and um, and self-care really Um, and a lot of the women in our community are stressed out mums or are um, you know career women who have um, been relying on alcohol as kind of a treat as a end of the day kind of knockout. Um, perhaps they have had trauma in their lives. Perhaps it's kind of trauma that they would identify as, as something, you know, significant, or perhaps it's, you know, chronic stress from burnout. Um, and alcohol has become kind of, yeah, their, their sort of best friend. It's become a relationship, um, you know, and they're at that point where they're going to the doctor perhaps and they're kind of saying "Mm, I think it might be problematic the doctor saying you know why don't you count your units uh, and sending them home and they're thinking I think I've been counting my units for the last kind of three years and I'm not quite managing it Um, and so they're seeking out sort of you know uh, spaces online and that was my journey you know I I live in France I've been here for 15 years Um, you know had sort of some difficult experiences in my young life um, and then became a mum quite young at 26 living in another country um, and I kind of bought into that mummy wine culture it was just like oh we're bonding like oh it's okay you know it kind of moved from that that Instagram time it came you know it came around sort of that social media of being honest parenting because there was a lot on social media which was this kind of like 
bowed and beautiful life of like being a mum. And then from that, there was that kind of reaction of like, actually being a mum's really hard and I'm trying to do many, many things. And within that kind of honest parenting movement, which was brilliant because we bonded talking about community, we found each other just like, actually being a mum's really hard when you're a feminist and you want to do everything and you, you know, want to have a career. Um, but within that became this sort of um, tendency to, you know, connect alcohol to stress relief. Um, so there was a lot of like cheering with your friends online, on Instagram, like we got through another day, let's have a glass of wine, you know, wine o'clock, gin time, gin mummy, all of that stuff. Um, and so, you know, my mental health uh, was suffering. I was in burnout. I was a, you know, a lecturer at a university in France. Um, so I was achieving very well in that sense. Um, had a lot of kind of um, traumatic stuff that I hadn't dealt with. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it sort of came from burnout. I went to the doctor and I was like, I can't cope. I'm, I'm not doing well. Um, and was put on antidepressants, started going to therapy once a week. And within that kind of conversation was, you know, I, I think I might drink too much. Um, and I think it's quite a common kind of story for a lot of people that are in that kind of gray area. Um, I stopped drinking for a year, felt really good, uh, was like, got my mental health under control, quit my stressful job. We moved to the seaside, made huge kind of changes. Um, and then was like, oh, okay, I'm better now. So I'll drink like a normal person, um, you know, because drinking is, is normal uh, behavior. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so it's sort of started drinking again but just never ever made me feel good like always impacted my mental health always impacted my anxiety my depression um my sleep um and so I kind of went back and forth for about three years uh before I was just like you know what actually like I choose to take alcohol out of my life it doesn't give me anything it doesn't make anything better it only takes things away um and that was like nearly five years ago. So I got my five year anniversary this year. Um, and so we set up Love Sober to kind of, yeah, help women like us. You know, I we do a podcast. Um, Kate's another mum. She's also a sober coach. And it's just about making that connection for people. And just, you know, so when they're asking those questions, um, they've got somewhere to go. So they don't have to get to that point where you know, they're in rehab and they've lost so much. It's like, you know, and their mums, a lot of them, you know, so there's a lot of fear there of like how, what will happen if I admit that I think my drinking is a problem. So being able to cre create sort of secret safe spaces online, a podcast where people can just listen to it when they're on the tube and no one else really knows what they're talking about um, has just been really helpful. Um, so yeah, that's me. Thank you, Mandy. Um, and a lot of that I can absolutely um, relate to your story in that too. So we'll unpick that a little bit more in a minute. Um, Ruri, can you tell us your story and how you came to be here? Such beautiful pronunciation of my name. It's rare. So well done. <laughs> um, uh, yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, what an amazing story, Mandy, and um, there's lots I resonate with in that. Uh, so I don't want to don't want to duplicate, but it's interesting hearing similar stories. 
Um, I guess for me, I was um, Scottish, grew up on an island, um, you know, synonymous with drinking culture up there for sure, as many places are, right? And, um, you know, hooked onto an identity. I was uh, in counselling from six years old. It was an ultimatum of my parents, right? This kid is messed up. Um, He's either getting counselling or drugs, your choice. They chose counselling. And I think that's really unfortunate for that. I believe I'm fortunate for that because of course it's different for everyone but it started this journey of me trying to understand what was going on in the brain met drugs and alcohol um in 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 teens and later and you know that was brilliant because it just calmed all that noise down and um you know went absolutely crazy um I was very entrepreneurial and I started companies I started my first business when I was 15 um in fact by the time I was 25 I tried five different companies all failed I called myself a serial failpreneur um, and um, I ended up, somebody said, I know where failed entrepreneurs go. They go on to The Apprentice. You should apply. I'd never seen The Apprentice, but I applied, got accepted, went down for the beginning of Series 2 in the UK, and ultimately actually didn't go on the show in the, in the end. They never explained why. But while I was in London, I bumped into an oil broker. And um, he heard my story and was like, why don't you come be an oil broker? So that, I, I, you know, packed my bags, headed down to London, um, you know, from a small island in Scotland. I was pretty wet behind the ears of what I was walking into. Uh, but we're really two worlds collided, you know, partying and being successful. Um, and I was exceptionally good at both of those things <laughs> as, a, as a broker. Um, I built a bit of a name for myself as being the person to go to if you wanted to get into a club or, um, you know, it was all about town and um, lots of restaurants, lots of wining, dining, all that stuff. Brilliant in your 20s. Met my my now wife, started to wear thin. We got married. You can see where this is going. We start to have a kid. And that was causing growing pains. But the thing is, my social circle, my circle around me, my friends were all brokers um, on their third marriages. And, um, you know, like, what's the problem? You know, what were you talking about? You don't even drink that much. You know, what, what are you whining about? And when it got to the point where I was like, hang on a minute, you know, I've got pains um, and things like that, you know, you'd get comments like, well, why did you go to the doctor? Um, because it was just so facilitated in that industry. It was so normalized. Um, and I, I kid you not, you know, you'd go for lunch, you would have three, four hours at lunch, beers, red wine, and then you come back and you'd set the global oil price, right? 80% of the world's oil is settled from our desk and everyone is hammered, right? It's like, I mean, that was, that. of course, that was 10 years ago. So they'll come out with pitchforks on me saying that was today because it's not, it's changed a lot since then. But that was the environment I was in. Um, I remember one of the first lunches being invited down to for a big, big um, oil major. And they said, right, we're going to lunch, four of us. We're going to try and beat the record for the most bottles of wine drunk at lunch. And I'm like, uh, okay, what is it? And they're like, it's 13 bottles of Gabby de Gabby. I was like, between four, holy smokes. We managed 11. Anyway, you get the picture. It was a pretty crazy environment. Um, but there was nothing part of me which said I had a problem because I knew what problem was. I saw that at the place. Those were the people who were starting in the morning. That was the whiskey on the cornflakes. That was not me, right? I was, I, I was just very sociable, very good at my job and doing my job. And yet there was all this friction. And um, it was actually, I mean, the friction was building up, but I didn't really want to listen to that noise. I didn't want to listen to my wife. Everyone was saying, just stay in the pub. It doesn't matter. You know, their wives, they're like that. There's always another one. One guy, oh, anyway, we won't go there. So I went to... Um, I wanted to try and change the anger in our relationship. Um, and I'd also started meditating. Um, some Back in 2013, somebody introduced me to Headspace. 
And I started meditating on the train to and from work. And that meditation started to make me think. Just in the back, it was like, alcohol is causing you a bit more trouble than you realize here. Um, So I was starting to pick at that a little bit. And I was starting to listen to a bit more of the noise in my life. And um, I found an anger management program. Now, I didn't think I was angry. But I knew my wife was absolutely furious. So and I wanted to reduce anger in our marriage. Um, so I thought I could do that by studying myself. And on that course, it was a three-month course, it said that alcohol and coffee are the two biggest instigators of anger. And that's when I said, right, um, I'm going to drop that the the I drop both of those at the same time. I did, totally blown away. I mean, you know, I didn't think I had a problem. Nobody was around me telling me I had a problem, but everything improved, right? Fitter, healthier, happier, you know, I mean, I grew my business. Everything I thought about not drinking was totally wrong. So ultimately, I said, how can I help more people realize this? I ran around with my church bell, hear ye, hear ye, not drinking is amazing. And everyone went, put the bell down, mate, go back to the pub, come on. (laughs) So that didn't work. And I was like, well, how do I help more people realize this? Because nobody wants to hear it, right? They're just like, la, 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 alcohol's amazing. I know, let's create a challenge. Let's make it cool. Let's make it funky. Let's create a challenge. And in doing the challenge, that individual will discover for themselves the impact alcohol is really having on them. That was what, seven years ago now. And that's how we grew or burst one year no beer. And uh, and one year no beer is this, it is this challenge. It's positioned similarly to what you were saying earlier, Annie, about like couch to 5K kind of thing. Like, just try it see where it goes. You only have to do 28 days and maybe you might want to do more, but if you don't want to, you don't have to. Like it's a very kind of soft integration into uh, into to not drinking. Um, and it claims really to have a 95% success rate, which is pretty incredible. Um, tell us what it is exactly and, and why you think it works so well for people who like yourself, like myself and Mandy, who are not there there yet in terms of of addiction, but very much see that there's a problem going on. Yeah, Uh, thank you. So first thing is um, the Advertising Standard Agency contacted us um, three years ago saying, we've had a report, you're you're claiming 96% success rate. Um, You need to take this down or prove to us it's true. And um, so we ran around, um, obviously, you know, oh my God, ah, um, went back through all the reports, the research in Stirling University, showed them it was 95.5%. And they said, okay, no problem. Just revise it to 95% and that's no problem. So um, (laughs) that was a very pleasurable day. Um, (laughs) the, the, The key concept here is what is success? in changing a relationship with alcohol. And our success metric is an individual who considers that they've changed their relationship with alcohol. And that was the survey and that is the research. And that's what we are here to do. So it's not a one size fits all for people. It's very different. You know, um, Mandy talked about trying to moderate if that was what she wants to call it or mindful drinking or drinking in control however you position that for a while and it didn't work for her that's what I do I drink mindfully I drink in control um after doing two years alcohol free I think it's very different for people how they want to change their relationship with alcohol I believe that most people would like to have a healthier relationship healthy is the wrong word but you know what I mean a better relationship with alcohol um I think I think that lots of people want to have no relationship with alcohol at all and that's amazing but for other people they want to have a healthier relationship with alcohol i don't think i answered the question um but uh so bring me back on topic my head so, so what i'm hearing that you're saying is that i asked you how does it work why does it work and yeah, from from what i'm hearing is that you're saying it's it's about 
creating a space for people to investigate. And that's been my experience of it. It's a space for people to investigate their own journey, their own relationship with it in the pursuit of creating a more healthy relationship when it comes to alcohol. Yeah, I think the key thing was making sure that nobody had to admit they were, had a problem. And we missed that, right? We didn't nail that on the head. We have, in seven years, we still haven't nailed that completely because we produced a book called The 28 Day Alcohol Free Challenge and we designed the cover so that people would feel proud and wear it, read it in the tube, but it didn't. Because as soon as somebody looked at the book, they thought, ah, you've got a problem. And so we were, we were trying to remove everything from the problem space and put it into a space of saying, hey, this is just a challenge, just like any other challenge of hiking, walking, not eating, what, you know, fasting, whatever that challenge is, this is just a challenge. Another one, another string on your bow. Because when you normalize it, destigmatize it, remove the wording and everything else for people, you catch a much wider audience and you get them much earlier. Well, hang on a minute, I don't have a problem. No, I'm not talking about whether you have a problem or not. What I'm telling you is, I know categorically that if you are drinking more than six units a week, right? So two large glasses of wine. I know emphatically that somewhere between 40 and 60 days of you removing alcohol and practicing some of the good habits that we talk about, you're going to have a total life shift. And I've to this day, over 100,000 members in 137 countries, nobody's ever called me up and said, you're right, it's not true. You're, I, didn't, I don't feel better after removing alcohol. <laughs> Nobody has said that, right? Everybody feels better. Everybody has shifts. Sure, some people say, oh, well, I preferred life this, or I prefer, you know, if they were like, it's complicated, right? But that is the thing. And so turning into a challenge, destigmatizing it, and just getting to trying to encourage people to experience it from a view of, I want to be better. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. And I'd like to open that up to, firstly, to you, Annie, who, mm. who has come at the experience from a very different perspective. Mm. And part of AA the rooms generally is about the first thing you have to do is admit that you have a problem. So I'm really interested (laughs) in the dichotomy between this approach of it's just a challenge. You don't have to admit you have a problem to the Mm. power of of your experience when, when it's so important to accept that you've got a problem. So how do you, what do you, what do you think about that? Well, definitely. I mean, yeah, my experience is that I was powerless completely. I lost my whole life to this and I, you know, I should have lost my entire life to this. So when I first heard of uh, One Year No Beer, I thought, oh, okay, okay. So that wouldn't have worked for me at all. <laughs> I would have liked to have pretended to have uh, tried it, maybe looked at it and thought, well, do you know what? It sounds like a challenge, but I just, I can't do it. I might have tried it and been disheartened by it perhaps. You know, so for me, I, I approached this with a little bit of caution, and a bit of intrigue actually. And I do applaud, I really applaud normal people trying to do normal drinking in not but nothing really is that normal is it no one's got a normal kind of lifestyle or approach but what I do love hearing is people trying different ways to encourage a, a, a lesser amount of alcohol in day-to-day life I think that's that's intrinsic and I think when I look at my sort of 16 year old niece and my 22 year old niece they're just not interested in alcohol and that's the way that their generation is now behaving and I love that I came from a you know a generation where we were raving and drinking was 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 just in our school bags you know it was something we did it was like water um so generational stuff has a huge impact of course um but when it comes to something like this, I, I will only ever encourage and support people to to try this out. But um, I think from from my experience, you know, it would not have worked for me. But I would have loved to have been one of those people who sort of said, you know, 
oh, I, you know, I'm going to try this and then succeeded it. I just, I'm, I'm mesmerized by this concept because I, I don't have that control. And, you know, but, and, and I hear that you're, you know, you've had two years um, off the, off the booze and now you can moderate. I mean, again, that's fantastic, but I would, again, I would, I would to certainly the listeners from my recovery circles, um, and across, you know, recovery circles worldwide, it's not really something that we can dabble with. Um, so I'd always sort of suggest that, you know, that this is a very different type of approach to helping the no- the masses, the, the yeah. general public understand that alcohol, it's a poison. We don't need it in our lives. We can live a really, really beautiful life with less of it. So I get it, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm on a no. different camp. <laughs> I, I, but I get I it. Loud and clear. I mean, yeah. This- definitely something I want to address as well because we have to be incredibly careful Mm. and we have to be very respectful because those two if you live in that world our world is dangerous yes right yes if you're if if you are if you are counting the days and you you've got and you're following those 12 steps Mm. introducing alcohol-free drinks uh, doing all the communication that happens inside mm. one year, no beer, it could be dangerous. And so we have to be very careful of that. And I guess we we naively went into it early. I mean, we were a couple of brokers, right? You know, we, we <laughs> naively went into it. And, and, and then, you know, I remember the day the, the NHS and alcohol concern knocked on the door and said, we want to have a look under the hood. And we, again, we were like, oh, my God, we've been found mm. out. And they both came away and said, this is brilliant stuff. We were like, whew. But, but the thing was, yes, and we've had to build in back-end systems and processes and things like that to catch up. Because even though you say on the site, hey, we are not, if you are, uh, you know, have alcohol use disorder, if you um, um, have severe alcoholism, this is not for you. And that is in those bits and pieces. Who reads those things? And also, <laughs> it's very common for somebody in recovery to be looking for the next thing and looking for them, hoping for the next thing and hoping for the next thing, you know, or trying to find um, something different. That all being said... We've been utterly gobsmacked. If you look at the level of drinking of some of our members, it is incredibly high. If you look at the testimonials from people, I was years in. I was years in recovery. I was in. I was doing this when I got into this supportive community that was positive, and I could make shift. It did change. So, first of all, really important that we're respectful of the the fact that they can different combine, but also because it was positioned differently, and because. Instead of there being this like, okay, you have a problem, you need to go over there, which is the traditional old way of doing it. We were saying, hey, we're all the same. We're on a sliding scale here. Let's all work together. We can change our brains. We can neuroplasticity. We can use latest science, etc. And I think we've been very helpful in helping some pretty severe um, relationships with alcohol to stop drinking. Great. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen that being in the community and and seeing people sharing their journey. Um, Mandy, you talk a lot in uh, in Love Sober about mindset shifts, and you've also explored your own experience. And mine is very similar to yours. I tried to moderate; that absolutely did not work for me. I um, found myself back exactly in the same patterns that I was in before I think that the brain has a, a way of remembering <laughs> what it what it was programmed to do um tell us your experience yeah so I just want to sort of talk about this um you know what sort of building on what's been said in terms of um changing the conversation I think what was needed when these communities started was changing the conversation that you know addiction was binary it was like you either are or you aren't um you know 
alcoholism as a term has not been used since the 1980s. So, you know, there was there was a real disconnect between what was happening in kind of traditional recovery circles and what was happening outside. It was like this this is more nuanced. It's not like you either are or you won't. This is about a personal experience. And so, you know, now, I mean, the World Health Organization talks about the spectrum of addiction and they talk about, you know, progressive over time, developing, deepening, you know, and and progressively getting more and more um, physically dependent. So, you know, and that was really helpful for me in terms of like, okay, so they split it down into, if you're looking at alcohol use disorder, they split it down into three parts. So you have hazardous, which is your, you know, drinking above the recommended units of alcohol per week, um, but it's not having much impact on your life apart from your health, right? Um, which I would sort of argue, whereas the kind of mindful drinking space sits, um, it's like, let's have a look at this. Let's, you know, see it's like, oh, it's having an impact. Um, let's let's make change, you know, and then you have the harmful space, which is kind of where we sit. You know, we are an abstinence based uh, program and an abstinence based community. So harmful is, um, you know, it, you're drinking over the recommended amounts on a regular basis and it's starting to have an impact on your life. So your mental health, your relationships um, and, and and your self-esteem. And then you have, you know, the dependency. Whereas like, you know, the recommendations from the World Health Organization would be that you would need chemical detox um, and you would need, you know, that. So when we started out, you know, 10 years ago, looking at these things, all you had was support for people that were, you know, at that end stage, you know, where, where it makes a lot of sense to say I am powerless over this. And, you know, and, and, and that space, but everyone else was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure <laughs> where do I fit? You know, and I mean, I had alcoholics in my life, you know, where I could say, but I'm not that. Yeah. So where, where am I and where do I exist? Because I, it doesn't look like that for me. I do still have power. I can stop and start, but it doesn't make me feel good. And it's definitely not. Um, it's definitely a problem. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's kind of where we are now and it's and and the great thing about this conversation is bringing these three areas together because there's not a lot of communication there's a lot of fear um and for me to start with when i you know when i heard i you know i spoke at the mindful drinking festival i was like that's an oxymoron <laughs> you can't be mindful about <laughs> drinking alcohol it it changes your brain right <laughs> and so i had to really think about it and i was like okay Okay, but this gives people space to come and have a look. And that's amazing. So as much as, you know, um, it's we have to be really protective over our spaces and who they're for. Mm. It's also like, thank goodness that we can like talk to the whole spectrum of it now mm. and go, you know what? And and talk to each other. It's like, you know, as a coach, it's like, okay, so let's try this community. That doesn't work mm. for you. Cool. Let's try AA. Let's do the step work. You don't want to do that. Okay. Let's go to She Recovers. You know, I'm a, um, She Recovers is a women's foundation based in the US. It's free. You know, I'm a, a coach for them as well. You know, I do meetings for them online. Um, and that their sort of um, philosophy is we're all recovering from something. So they hold a space for everyone in recovery, be it from burnout, be it from eating disorders, be it from, you know, trauma, be it from alcohol or drugs. Um, so, you know, again, it's like, let's, 
find spaces that people can see themselves, no matter what it looks like. Um, and also ha- keep having these conversations to go, it's cool, like, wit, you know, because you have to be nuanced about it. Um, and again, I can't remember what your question was. But there you go. <laughs> no, 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 you, you're absolutely fine. I think, you, I think you're answering it beautifully and it, it, it's, it's good to let the conversation flow because this is all about opening up conversations. And, for, you know, for me as a, as a recovering addict to, to hear that there are people at different stages and to actually understand that people um, are stuck at different stages. You know, I went right straight in head on full on like face plummeting into addiction when I was 20 something uh and 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 I was a dependent drinker I've been through many detoxes I've been at that extreme chemical stage and you know to hear that there are people who are functioning alcoholics and in these rooms in the AA rooms where I first started um I did a year and a half solid of these of these you know with service and everything I did my steps I was a good girl you know for the first time in my life I did something proper um and it was learning how to kind of deal with my extreme case but what I did learn in the rooms that there were people that I was connecting with who um, were trying to moderate. They were trying to do this. They were trying to do that. And it, it, they weren't aware of thing, organizations such as yourselves. And I think it's really important that we make it really aware uh, in the rooms as well and amongst you know the recovery community who are really struggling and the various stages in between because we're all going to cross paths we're human and also we're going to cross paths and we're plonked into the wrong setting for us you know if I came into one of your group settings I would have and I absolutely did I went to an AA group um, in my sort of late 20s I was a functioning alcoholic I was adamant I didn't have but no I didn't have a problem I didn't even use the word alcoholic or addict but I sat next to a guy with liver, liver failure he was yellow it was really really ill looking and I and I thought to myself I I don't have that so I'm all right you know and I think that's the dangerous that if we're plonked in the wrong setting in the wrong community um we're going to get the wrong end of the stick and we're going to ultimately fail over and over and over again uh so it's about finding the right community so we're all about encouraging different stages different people trying out different things and this is why we're all here today uh, is to experience and for me to hear that there are amazing things out there making life-changing differences and I do applaud both of you for, for what you do. I think it's amazing and I wish I could have been one of those people and a part of those well, well, just to, to, to talk from a kind of compassionate point as well you know because it's all about kind of um part of the healing journey Mm. is like loving ourselves and taking Mm. compassion right um the you know the neuroscience of addiction and and of habit change you know the the further down you are into that habitual behavior the narrower your brain is in terms of being able to have you know Mm. complex understanding so you know if the reason why the 12 steps is so incredibly powerful for people at that point is because literally your brain is in, you know, the back brain, it's in that kind of craving state. And there isn't a lot of, you know, prefrontal cortex going on. There isn't a lot of kind of creative ideas or logic about what's going on. So it's a brain state, right? So it's literally like, where where are people in their brain? Have they got their, their full capacity of their prefrontal cortex that they can make decisions about, you know, their mind? Or are they in that that emotional side, which is very much where a lot of our women are? It's like, this is a relationship. This feels, you know, important to me. I have emotional connection to alcohol. Or is it in, I will risk my life, my job, my kids to have a drink or have a hit. And so creating things that can work with people where they're at, you know, meeting people where they're at is just the most powerful thing. I really love that. And and I'm really appreciative of the inclusivity of this conversation and that sort of Venn diagram of where 
these three worlds that you spoke about, Mandy, meet. In the middle of that Venn diagram, I think we can all agree, is joy. Like the, uh, the book that changed it for me was reading Kath, Kath, Kath Gray's The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. And I could see myself in her at a lot of her earlier stages before she got to the point of drinking first thing in the morning, but not too much further before that point. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, like suddenly for the first time ever, I could see the spectrum of addiction, the, the progressiveness of it. Um, and then the other side of that, which is the joy that so like I, I, I live in the North now. And one of the first things that, that some people I meet say to me is, but you drink sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> surely, surely, like, surely you can just have one, right? Like, why would, why would you, how, what? How can you be here laughing, smiling in this pub and not be drinking? This is weird. You're weird. And it's like that kind of like this, this expectation that life ends when sobriety begins. Um, and I'd love to hear from both of you. And um, maybe Ruri, if you start us off, like, what is the, because the, a lot of your advertising for One Year No Beer, which is what hooked me, is the stories of people and the joy that they found and the surprise, the joy and the surprise in the joy that they found. Oh, we can't. Um, it is recording, but you couldn't hear me there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think it, um, yeah, it is, it is, it, joy is absolutely one part of it. Um, I like to sort of say that, that epiphany part, because there's so much, right? We're, we're, we don't realize that we're using alcohol to numb out the noises um, in our in our system. Those noises that actually some of our life needs to be addressed. Um, there are there are areas of the, our life that need to be improved. And I think coupled with that, what we hooked onto quickly was all the positive psychology stuff. So it wasn't necessarily about lambasting bad habits. What it was about was about being positive about creating good habits. And that the way you you know a bad habit infects itself over time over your reward centers over your belief systems over your everything right and and over time it grows and grows and grows more and like that weed if you just pull it out you leave the roots it grows back so what you've got to do is you've got to use good habits to counteract those things and slowly dig it out so that's what the whole program is based on you're going to you know every day you're going to be cultivating a new habit of gratitude of journaling of exercising of meditation of all of these things so the program is a life coaching program that is uh, with that we use the excuse of not drinking to get people to focus on their personal development so of course those transformations are exponential uh, because you're it's just like this you know you're changing so many areas of your life and putting these good habits in so it was the stories. And also in the early days, um, I, because of the counseling, because of those things, I was a very vulnerable person. I was able to communicate my emotions easily. I have been able to do that almost all of my life. And so in early days of cultivating a community, I was in there every day being very vulnerable. And that sort of created this space. And, you know, I, I do believe it's a very unique space. I do believe that people are really sharing in a great way. So, because of that as well, and I think the other part, the other side of this is, you know, when we did our offboarding surveys, people, you know, 74% of our members want to volunteer or give back. So I have a little hypothesis about this, that ultimately, if you are a high empathy, high emotion individual, then you're probably going to have more brain noise because you're dealing with all these feelings and this very noisy brain. And therefore, you're going to seek to numb out those noises, which 
means that a high propensity of empaths and people who are emotionally connected become disconnected because they are drinking too much or using drugs. And it could be Netflix or cake or porn or whatever your vice is, right? But ultimately, what happens when you take these individuals and you help them remove that from their life? You're left with that incredibly emotional, connected human being. Mm -hmm. So we have a higher propensity of those people who care, who want to give back. And so that's why the communities are so special. Right? Because they are people who want to, who, who are back to their natural selves of giving back. And I think that led all of that, I just said, because I am answering the question, don't worry, <laughs> this time. <laughs> all of that is what led us to say, hey, do you want to do a testimonial for us? Um, and ultimately, people were happy to do these amazing testimonials and these amazing stories, which cost us an absolute fortune. Thank you for our investors um, uh, to produce and put out to the world. This is going to be an interesting one for you. So I've had a look at our ad account the other day. And over the last seven years, I won't tell you how many millions we have spent on Facebook, but I will tell you that we've reached 121 million people. Um, sorry, that's oh yeah, exactly. We've, we've, we've impact reached 1.2 billion people. We've had 121 million people interact with our videos and our stories. Now, that is not how many people have signed up to one year no beer. I wish that was true. But that's the wider impact of what you guys are doing, of what Mandy is doing, of, of doing a podcast, right? How many people who didn't sign up to a program, who didn't message you, who didn't email, have made a change, have made a shift? You know, it's an amazing thing. Um, and it's not just that. It's a big domino effect because you know that you'll impact somebody and they'll get passionate about it because they want to give back. And they'll start a podcast trying to inspire people to stop drinking. So it's an amazing thing. And I think at the very least, at the very, very least, it will help people to not feel so alone and to not feel like there is something wrong with them, which in my experience just perpetuates or, as you were saying, Mandy, moves you further down the road of, of habit and, and addiction forming. And um, Mandy, your whole movement is called Love Sober. <laughs> So I'm sure you've got something to say about the joy of sobriety. Yeah, again, I, th I think as a woman, um, something that Kate and I couldn't find in sort of traditional recovery spaces was something that was uh, without shame. You know, it felt very shame based. It felt very like, um, you know, look at my character defects, break myself down. Like I'm powerless was like, wow. Like I've been doing that my whole life. Like my self-esteem is like zero. Like this is my day-to-day -day experience of how I feel about myself. Um, be that because of trauma, be that because of, you know, um, social society, you know, stigmatization of women and, you know, or others. Right. And we've seen a lot of correlation between the experiences of women, LGBTQT plus, uh, communities you know uh, black and Asian communities it's a sense of like you know being pushed out neurodiversity is a huge thing that's building up in our in our community at the moment either being you know a parent of a neurodiverse child or being neurodivergent yourself you know it is inherently traumatic to be in a school system that doesn't support you you know if you have needs so all of those things was like hang on a second like we need something that's strength-based we need something that's going to make me feel good. Like it's going to build me up. Like I'm going to have that positive spiral of like, I do this one thing and that becomes the catalyst for, for all these other brilliant things in my life. You know, it's 
it's almost that sort of very simple coaching question. It's like, I can't, or I can never drink again. And it's like, I don't have to drink again. And that means I get, you know, and it was like, dush, 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 dush. you know, my life is transformed, right? I've written two books, like we have a podcast, you know, I've changed my relationship with my family. I've healed from trauma. Like I've, I've broken generational, um, chains you know of of generational trauma that were feeding through into my kids you know I've been able to have emotional intelligent conversations with them about my experiences and how that's impacted me and how they can talk about their emotions so there's so much you know uh, in terms of what sobriety gives you Mm. um, you know my health my skin my hair um, you know how I feel about myself like I was so broken you know I wouldn't look at myself in the mirror like I hated myself I hated myself intrinsically there was nothing good I couldn't do anything right you know I I wasn't a good mum I wasn't good at my job I wasn't a good wife I wasn't you know a good friend like everything was you know negative and all of that has transformed because I made a choice to put myself in the picture um so you know that's the, the joy of sobriety is the fact that it is the catalyst it's the anchor we like to say that informs all other choices of self-care like it is the ultimate kind of um, choice of self-care you know and I didn't have any you know before Um, so it's that one fundamental thing you do which kind of informs all others and it is transformational it really is um, which is so exciting for people (laughs) right like who knew (laughs) (laughs) it's incredibly exciting and I think there's that there's this one particular saying that I really love and it's that recovery is is giving up one thing in order to have everything rather than giving up everything in order to have one thing and that was my experience is that I gave up everything in my life friends and family included uh, and myself you know my hair my skin oh god my teeth everything you know I looked like an addict and and now I'm just thankful that I'm you know coming up for six years this year in recovery and um which is amazing but someone asked me the other day and said are you going to always refer to yourself as an addict or as an alcoholic um or you know is that a label that I want to wear forevermore? And, and well, no, not really, because actually eventually the time in recovery will outweigh the time that I spent in addiction. That's 15 years. That'll be my mark. And I will gladly get to that 15 year mark and kind of go, okay, so most of my life has now been spent sober. But will the label change? I don't know yet. But currently, you know, it's certainly really lovely rather than to walk into a space where people are drinking or I'm being offered a drink or there's drink around rather than actually saying, oh, I won't because I'm an addict, which is, it rolls off my tongue and it's embarrassing it's just like well I won't because I'm a raging alcoholic actually and it, I like the shock tactic of it I, I like I like to kind of wow people with it and kind of go drop the mic but actually you know how about these days turning around and going actually I'm, I'm okay I'm all right I'm, I'm I choose not to and how powerful is that mm. to actually say I choose not to because every day I wake up now it's not like I choose not to be an addict I choose not to drink And I do that daily, but I don't actually sit there thinking that all day long. I'm just living it. So really, it's not a choice. It's just my life now. So what's that label? I don't know. And do we really need these labels? Are they helpful? I don't think so. But, you know, everyone's in a constant state of flux. And what I love is that you're working with people who are going from a stage of pondering what life could be like. And you're out there advocating that that life can be joyful and beautiful. And yes, we're all at different sort of 
stages I've been extreme and you guys are kind of helping the the masses in between and collectively we're all aiming for the one flipping same thing which is to enjoy life more because we aren't stuck in a constant state of needing something that we don't need filling our brains with chemically induced thoughts feelings emotions or no emotions I had no emotions for 15 years and I loved what you said Rory about um um you know, the whole numbing the emotion. And actually, when you get someone who has been a really raging addict for many, many years, yeah, we're flipping thankful when we when we reach that point of sobriety. And the 12 steps, the 12th step is to give back. And essentially, that's that's what you're saying. You're meeting a bunch of these people who are all like, come on, I want to help the world. <laughs> that's, that's We wake up every day just wanting to help each other. And that's just human nature. And we're we're numbing it and we're stopping it. So I just think collectively, what what a powerful bunch of people, you know, and opening these conversations has been so mind blowing for me today. Um, so yeah, and I'm really enjoying dissecting all of this and, and kind of bringing it all together, really. So thank you for sharing everything. Mm. Yeah. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> she's just great. Um, <laughs> um, I I think that. Um, Oh, I've just completely lost my focus. I'm just thinking how awesome you guys are. Um, <laughs> I think in my experience, um, the the most incredible people that I've ever met are people who I've met through whatever part of the recovery journey that might be. Um, and I think it's because like you just said, every single one of those people and every one of us here now are so committed to breaking down the barriers and breaking down the stigma and being vulnerable and sharing our stories and sharing our humanity in the hope of helping others to be able to do the same. And that's actually a really incredible thing. And I think when you're doing it all the time, you don't necessarily realize how incredible that is. And what I've noticed from being in both the Love Sober and One Year No Beer communities is that even in just the very early stages, it, the, those communities are giving others the permission to not only just share, vulnerably share, and sometimes so vulnerably, like you can tell that people have never shared this sort of thing before in their whole lives. Um, and then also that they have um, had the, uh, that, that they have the experience of helping others through the sharing. Um, so I just want to sort of round off this extremely important conversation with just inviting you both to talk about the importance of community in whatever stage of sobriety or sober curiousness that you might be at. Um, let's start with you, Mandy. Um, yeah, thank you. And I just wanted to say too, I've really loved this chat. It's really nice to just, um, it's <laughs> always nice just to hang out and, and, and talk about these things and just, and, and, and I really appreciate just the, the openness that is starting to happen because it felt for a long time we were just like shouting into the wind and now it just feels mm. like there's more of a kind of con- a cultural consciousness which feels really positive, you know. And again, it's around kind of, uh, there was a report that was done in 2000, I think it was in 2006 uh, by the Mental Health Foundation that was basically saying that the the government was pushing money into the wrong area around alcohol prevention it was all around um you know uh, dysfunctional behavior and you know asbos and you know getting people off the streets and they were saying you know what what is going on is that it is the most common stress reliever and you know what you need to be looking at is the the the, the way that we uh normalize alcohol use 
for stress relief you know and that's the big thing isn't it it's like the cultural shift of like actually hang on a second we're talking about mental health can we now like put alcohol the connector there that it's that you know it's a stimulant and a depressant and you know it impacts you so anyway it's just exciting that we're the movement is continuing to grow um community for me was everything uh i myself too was a raver um you know in the 90s <laughs> yep. um, lots of festivals grew up not that far from glastonbury went every year worked backstage very messy times um and i realized that when i got sober um actually a lot of that stuff what held me in quite a difficult time of my life because it was around community like we were ravers right we were we danced together we co-regulated our stress response you know if you're looking at it from a scientific point by dancing together you know we had sort of very sort of deep connections um and I really missed that and I was terrified about being sober in a drinking world like all my friends were still you know partying I had no kind of blueprint of who I was if I wasn't that person um and so when I actually sort of went, the first community meetup I went to was um, a club soda meetup in a pub in East London. Um, and we had like a three course meal, all with sort of different um, non-alcoholic drinks. Um, and, I, and I'd been on Soberistas for a long time and I always like to give them a shout out because they were such an amazing pioneer. Like Lucy Rock was such a pioneer for what she set up, you know, which is a, an anonymous space as well, which some people still really need. And I needed at the beginning, right? I couldn't be as open as I was. You know, I was saying all my stuff, all the things. Um, yeah, and so I went to this meetup and we were so loud and raucous. And I was just like, oh, we're the people that party too hard. <laughs> we're not the boring people. We're just the people that don't know when to stop. And it was such a like, oh, okay. And then there was this kind of element of rebellion. Like I'd always been rebelling from, you know, society, the rules, you know, being a feminist, all of these things. And then being in this room, there was like loads of people with tattoos and just like really kind of cool people that I respected. Um, and I was like, oh okay like it's actually really rebellious not to drink like this works for me on another yeah, emotional cool. level cool. um <laughs> I mean what what does cool mean anyway I mean, uh, you know but but you know it, it it fed me in a way of like I can exist I can exist and I can do that um and I mean, I live in France. I don't have any sober community around me, which was why sort of um, online spaces were so, so important for me. Um, but that's where the magic happens. It's like, you know, shame dies when um, it's said in safe spaces. That's not the exact quote. But, you know, it, when people get on a meeting and they see other women or, you know, other people and they can say like, oh yeah me too like or just share like oh you know that time when I did that I'm so embarrassed I'm sh so ashamed you know shame is the the kind of pinnacle of all the things that keeps addiction you know alive and when you can start to sort of peel that away and just go oh it's okay don't worry like I did that too or um it's not that bad or it's over now you know um just changes everything for people um and so without community 
and on a neuroscience level there's a lot going on for the brain which is really important too but without community yeah I think you can do it you can get sober but it's really lonely and it's not as much fun um so yeah you know and keep trying like there's so many communities now like just keep trying one until you find your fit um that's kind of my key thing I always sort of say to people if it's not us that's fine you know but let us find somewhere that feels good for you you know what do you like like what did you like when you were younger is it running is it like horse riding like you'll be able to find a sober community that like pottery okay I'll find it for you you know um because once you have that link with people then everything gets easier you just it's just like yeah. those shoulders like ah, yeah okay. it's a case of signposting for one another and I think that's yeah. the intrinsic mm. around this the, the the Brighton community that we have here it's all creativity as a therapy and but the yeah. things there's so many different types there's sports there's animals there's people find different things you know different horses for different courses and it's uh Everyone finds their way eventually, but if we help each other, you know, the lobster's in a pot. If we help each other, we, we can get out of this sticky situation. But, you know, it, apart it, from it, maybe the last lobster. Apart, apart from the last <laughs> lobster. <laughs> but, you know, we, we will make it there eventually, whichever pathway we take. But recovery has many, many different pathways I'm learning. And, you know, with the stuff that we do at Horizon, we, we actually include other recovery-based stories so that we show people in recovery from addiction, that actually recovery from cancer, recovery from disability, recovery from from struggled upbringings with with you know uh, mental health and so many different varied types of trauma that we live through that we use alcohol for but intrinsically the emotional journey that we have is all the same and I think emotionally the journey is the same no matter what range of the spectrum you come from when, when it comes to addiction or drinking you know there, there is a pathway we just we've got to get on that right little groove of our own and be cool in that groove <laughs> rock it whichever which way we go you know so yeah yeah thanks for that um we have a couple of minutes um Ruri tell us what you know just to summarize what does community mean for you um, well, Mandy, that was uh, absolutely amazing because you, uh, you 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 very much covered everything off there. I think um, in in terms of the importance of community. So, really, just to hit that nail on the head is, I would go with, I would I would go a little bit stronger because I think a lot of people are reticent to go and jump into an online community. Now, if I look at uh, my environment, the oil brokers and the traders and people like that, they're like, why would I want to join some online community? Um, and so, I would I would actually go back to say that it's almost critical you will really struggle uh, because of because of the way our brain works right we're specifically being triggered in that status where we are in society find a community and join that community because it will be so powerful the sooner you engage so speaking to my own audience right if you're sitting on the on the uh, just reading the posts and not engaging you're only getting 20 percent of the healing here mm. engage Get into the community, talk, share, be a part of somebody, because that is how you will change your relationship with alcohol. If you really want to have an improved relationship with alcohol, it's going to be so critical for you to find a sense of belonging in a community, either around you or online, um, that is living how you want to live. It'll just help you in every moment. You'll be at a wedding and somebody's like, come on, just have one. And it's like that instant sub-trigger goes back. Do I have anything I belong to? No? Oh, go on then, I'll have one. Yeah, I do. I've got a community who I'm accountable to, who I talk to, who I love, who I enjoy being around. No thanks, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Yeah, I like that. 
Well, thank you so, 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 so much for your time and your insights and all of the work that you're doing to help people at, at all of the different stages. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you both. Yeah, I feel like we can shout into the wind together. <laughs> collectively but, but like the rebellion is growing yeah, it really is. Yeah. so the wind is louder it definitely my, is my wind is always quite loud so. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. thank you both so much thanks everyone thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode this podcast has been brought to you by Horizon, a non-profit that provides film and media training to people in recovery from addiction. To find out more about Horizon, you can visit our website at www.myhorizon.rocks or follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Horizon Brighton.